Welcome to Growing Our Financial Advisory Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, episode 58. I'm your host, Pavel Bramensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information and additional content, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Keith Matthews. Keith is a partner and portfolio manager at Tulet Matthews & Associates. He has an MBA from the Richard Ivey School of Business and is a chartered investment manager. For close to 25 years, Keith has been working with his clients to deliver leading-edge wealth management strategies to help his clients reach their long-term goals. He was an early adopter and pioneer within the Canadian ETF industry. His articles on asset allocation strategies, index strategies, and trends in the financial services industry have frequently appeared in a variety of Canadian media sources. He is the author of The Empowered Investor and has just recently published the fourth edition. Keith is a married and busy father of three children in university. He's active volunteer and organizing his community-based junior rugby program. Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pavel. Great to be here. Keith, it's a great pleasure to have you on. I was uh, very much looking forward to it. So let's get started. So tell me about your firm and uh, in your own words, what do you do and who do you typically serve? Tulet Matthews & Associates is a licensed portfolio manager. So we have an ICPM license regulated out of Quebec with the AMF with a passport to operate in all provinces in the country, serving a portfolio management, financial planning, and tax. Those are essentially the three services we offer to our clients. What was the number of your staff right now? We mentioned licensing, so that's great. A number of clients, maybe ideal client AUM. I'd like to get a little bit more into ideal clients a little later too, but just kind of high level, you know, number of staff, number of clients AUM at this point. So as much as you're comfortable for disclosing to for the context for listeners. We have a, two practicing management teams in our firm. We all operate under the same structure, the same investment approach, same planning approach, but two practice management teams. So in my team, we have six uh, full-time and one half-time uh, professional assets under management uh, today are about 290, 295, and that covers approximately 130 client families. I'd say we've spent the last four or five years training new people into the team so that we can scale a little bit more. So we're probably organized to be able to bring in another 100 client families in the next five years. So, I mean, that number tells me that, I mean, you're selling the high net worth clients, really. I mean, it's funny you say high net worth. I mean, if you were to ask the majority of our clients, they would actually say, you know, I'm not high net worth. I I'm, don't even I don't even consider myself affluent. They may just be hardworking Canadians that have saved, that have been diligent in what they do. And uh, they end up with, you know, sizable portfolios when they're 65. That's great to know that, that you're working with those people that basically you know, spend a lot of time uh, just uh, saving their assets and, and you're helping actually grow them, so, so those assets. So, but before we get to some of the nitty-gritty of the business and, and other questions, so take me back to the early days. So what actually made you uh, become an advisor in the first place? How that did that occur? Well, that's an interesting question. It sort of taking me back in time. Graduating at MBA school, I pretty much went into, I actually didn't really want to go into financial services. I we were speaking about sailing before Paval. I was looking to become a, a yacht club manager, and I was looking oh to, to to work in the recreation and leisure field. You know, times were tough. It was 91. It was the recession. There were not a lot of jobs. I was applying to all sorts of recreation and leisure programs in management and not getting a lot of success. I finally sort of got 
a job that was in manufacturing. I did that for a few months. And then and then finally, I, I bit the bullet and went back into finance. I had trained my whole life to be in finance, became a bit disillusioned, and then finally realized I probably should get back into finance. I'm, that's what my training is for. I can earn probably the best living at that point in finance. And so I ended up applying to a bond trading position. And lo and behold, I was, I was back in finance, but at the institutional level at a firm called Casgrain Company, a great, great boutique firm here in Montreal. And we competed coast to coast at the institutional level. My clients were Western-based clients at that point. So I dealt with a lot of institutional firms in BC and Saskatchewan. But I knew in the end that that wasn't necessarily my calling. I worked for five years, great experience as a bond trader. But in the end, it wasn't, you know, my DNA growing up, Teaching sailing, growing up, teaching rugby coaching was more to try to help individuals. And sort of in year three and four, I got exposed to the idea of personal finance and investment management because individuals were coming to me because I was a bond trader at that point and asking me questions like, who should I have inherited some money? I sold my business. Which firm should I hire to manage my money? And I would go to to meet these firms uh, with these friends of mine and, and individuals I knew and and I realized at that point that that, that struck a chord. I, I started to become interested in helping people. It brought me back to my roots as a sort of a trainer or, or instructor. And I realized that there could be a great profession for me taking my applied knowledge in finance and you know using it with private clients. So in 96, I made the switch. That is fantastic how you actually made the transition. And uh, I mean, the coaching, the training, the, uh, the instructor in you. And yes, we did talk about sailing and uh, <laughs> there's... A lot of great things about that. So that's that's a fascinating way how you were actually able to connect this to uh, to, your plan, to 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 basically start your own business. So so let's let's go further. You mentioned and in our conversations earlier, you were an early pioneer uh, of ETFs in the uh, Canadian financial services industry. I'm really curious what really attracted you to ETFs so early on. Because I mean, sure, there was some maybe scientific literature at the time, and you know, Vanguard has been there since you know probably around 80s, early 80s. But that wasn't really popular view. So, you know, that was contrarian. I think opinions right now are kind of more popular. But, you know, what gave you the foresight at the time? What attracted you to ETFs early on? It was in my bond trading days, you know, taking care of institutional clients. You start to understand performance and you start to hear about quartiles, first quartile, second quartile, third and fourth. You start to hear of them trying to either hit their bogeys, beat their bogeys, benchmarks. And you start understanding that whole process of trying to outperform. And it was during my bond trading years that I started to uh, realize that there, there were a lot of firm, a lot of institutional firms. The bond traders, you know, they're quite boastful. They're, they're talking highly about their skills. And then the more I would dig, the more I would realize that they actually weren't performing. And that was a massive aha moment for me. Sort of probably 94, 95, when you're realizing that all of these firms that are trying to beat the market aren't in fact doing that. And so it was during my bond trading days that I discovered exchange-traded funds. And I think I bought my first, you know, back then it would have been tips or hips. I can't remember which one I bought first, but I would have bought one of the tips was the 35 and the hips was the 100, top 35 and top 100 stocks in Canada. And I would have bought that in my RSP in the mid-90s. And I recall when I left as a bond trader, I said, you know, I know that you can build a practice delivering wealth management services and building portfolios using asset allocation strategies and attaching your strategies to underlying exchange-traded funds. So back in the early days, you could build a portfolio with tips, hips, 
Spiders were an early one. And we would, for fixed income, we would use strip bonds and maybe an international mutual fund, maybe a Templeton or a Fidelity because those were the big names back then. And then so, you know, I started a career early on uh, having exposure to these instruments and seeing how they could be effective in portfolio management. And uh, one thing led to another. My first 10 years, I was with a firm called PWL Capital, and we spent a lot of time pushing the idea of how to use either exchange-traded funds, index, or passively managed strategies in client portfolios. And so those are, the, those are sort of the early years. That's excellent. So I want to ask another question. So was this really hard to swim against the current, right? Because the thing is, if you are exposed to very strong marketing and, you know, people who are speaking with strong conviction about certain approaches, which, you know, essentially may not be based uh, or, or they may not be validated by scientific literature. I mean, it's still hard. And you were one of the early uh, people. So like, what was uh, the approach that basically, like, even for example, you know, your clients probably, you, know, you were one of the first two ETFs and your clients probably knew, I don't know, one hundredth of, you know, 1% of what you knew at the, at the time. Did you feel that you were actually, you know, swimming against the current right now at the time, or you were fe- you you felt that more that I think I found something that really works. I can actually validate this with uh, with literature, and I think this is I'm onto something cool and useful. It wasn't just me. I would say in Canada back then in the early doubles, like 2000, 2001, 2002, three, there might have been 25 advisors in the country, and I know at our at my previous firm PWL we would have had maybe 10. So another 15 or 20. So it was mixed. You clearly were swimming against the stream. There was so much marketing from so many other alternative sources that were basically saying, we have the secret sauce. We have the magic and you need to follow us. And if you think about how clients and investors have moved through the market cycle, the 80s was sort of the beginning of investing. The 90s, things were starting to pick up. So Canadians didn't quite have the evidence that they needed to truly understand what their options were. But clearly you're going against the stream of the heavy-duty marketing machines. That said, it was an extraordinarily exciting time to be an advisor in that space because you knew you're onto something. You knew that you were onto something and that it, it made sense. And so all of the early advisors that were doing this knew it made sense, knew it was the right thing, knew it was very friendly for clients, And I mean standard indexing approaches that have now, 20 years later, sort of grown in in popularity, you knew it was was good. You knew it made sense. You knew it, it resonated. It gave you the time to offer services that clients really cared about, which were, you know, planning, projections. Am I going to make it? Do I have enough money? What are my tax situations, tax planning? By taking on that approach, back then we found ourselves, I thought, in a really exciting time. Yeah, no, I can I can imagine. I mean, especially uh, if you think that you're onto something and you have a proof that it's actually working, and you still have the time because as an independent firm, smaller firm, maybe you have you can move a lot faster. I mean, you have the advantage, right? And you can niche uh, in certain areas, and basically that gives you the the, the edge in, in the market. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, I think we had the time, we had the energy, we had the passion, and we essentially, as a group, I think all of those, all my friends and colleagues who are in the same space, we all essentially doubled down on it. We said this works so well and it, it makes so much sense that let's really develop businesses, practices, and client services and include them as, as investment vehicles. At the end, they are simply investment vehicles, though. They don't make the investment experience. The investment experience is everything else that an advisor does. 
So we will get to it. Uh, it was. I just wanted to really spend a little bit of time on EFTPS because, and and to the early times because, I mean, you've been in business for you know quarter of a century. It's twenty five years. That's a great accomplishment. And uh, I was reading your articles in National Post about uh, you know from I think early two thousand and early late two thousand, and it was it's so interesting. It's exactly you know twenty years later. So that's really good. So let's start talking about some of the processes. You've been in business for twenty five years on, on your own, serving clients. How do you approach right now advising and serving clients? I joined Don Tulat in 2005, and that's really when I started to develop my own personal practice. Prior to that, I spent a lot of time helping other advisors coordinate these very same practices, but probably spending three days a week in management and two days a week in client services, or three days a week in an advisor support, if you will, and two days a week in client services. And in 2005, I made the move and said, that's it, I'm going full-time into client services. And so joining Don Tulet, uh, uh, he's in the West Island of Montreal, so the West End of Montreal. We had the firm, we had the platform. We used back then TD Waterhouse Institutional Services our, as our caring broker. So the structure was 100% independence linked to a caring custodian. And from then on in, you just... You had a chance to dream about, well, what is it you think clients need as and want as services? Nobody was pushing us and telling us how to build, how to, how to produce. There's no sales culture. And it was really, you know, imagine what a client needs and then try to build the services around that. So clearly we had portfolio management as one service. So we had to, you know, master the execution of portfolio management. So we have to make sure we embrace a strong investment philosophy and have a code of conduct around that investment approach. Uh, we would offer financial planning projections. Projections are probably one of the most uh, important uh, investment services or planning services clients are looking for. Am I on track? Am I putting away enough money? Will I have enough money? When I do finally retire, what will my sustainability look like? These are huge issues. So we made this a big part of our business. And what makes this also a little bit different and a little bit unique is that we actually do income tax preparation in our firm. So a lot of planners who are in the MFDA environment will do tax, and it's a wonderful service to offer clients. You do find IROC players as well doing that. But for an ICPM, it's very unusual to be offering tax services. So and I think that's because of one of my partners, Hugh Campbell, being a CA and ha that being his foundation. He's been with Don really since the beginning. Don and Hugh started the business in 1995. So why do you think it's important to, to do tax uh, returns for clients? Why do you think it's important? Well, it's, it's a nice service. So listen, we do, uh, you know, in Don's team, he does the vast majority of his taxes through uh, our internal tax service. And in my team, we do maybe 30 to 40% and 60% are being done by outside tax advisors. The idea of at least understanding tax sensitivities is huge for an advisor, and it's a huge value add for clients. You know, there's a few things that investment clients or clients in general or Canadians get, get sticky about. Taxes is one of them. So if you can find ways to reduce income tax, to make sure it's tax efficient, to uh, defer as much taxes into the future, to do tax-friendly strategies... You know, I think that's important. And the, the mere fact that we're doing tax returns allows us to sensitize ourselves to that. And then finally, clients, it's a real pain in the butt working with multiple professionals sometimes for clients. And for them to know that they can, if they want, have a one-stop shop that can execute their taxes proficiently and effectively, it's a wonderful service. I remember one conversation with an experienced planner from Victoria, BC, and he said to me that if you really want to know or get to know this person really quickly, then do a tax return for them or review the past tax returns for them. Do you have the experience that 
or, or would you agree that that allows you to get to know to a greater degree the, the client that you're serving? Absolutely, 100%. And I think in my early years, when I was sort of 95 to 2005, I, I would kind of look at tax and say, oh, you know, it's a necessarily evil that we do it because it's just a lot of hard work and it, uh, it really creates extra work for teams, extra liability, extra risk, extra, just extra pain in the butt. And I've really learned to embrace it. It's so valuable for clients. And I really actually, I, I really enjoy reviewing tax returns now. So I don't do tax returns, but I enjoy reviewing them because you, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like sort of understanding a client's DNA. You understand all their cash flows. You understand all their issues. And so I, I would agree fully with uh, the other advisor's comments. That's a really good uh, point that you made. Actually, you don't actually have to even prepare the tax returns yourself. I mean, you may be able to outsource it to somebody else on your team, but it's just the reviewing part. That's the really useful aspect of it. Excellent. So you mentioned planning, you mentioned uh, return projections. Tell us a little bit more about your process. So for example, right now when the client comes in and let's maybe start even before we get there, what is your ideal client right now? You mentioned hardworking Canadians, but tell us a little bit more. I mean, who do you enjoy working? Who, do, when, for example, when you meet somebody and, and have a conversation with them, who is your ideal client, and how do you very quickly figure out whether you know you can work with a person or or a family or not? Well, we do have a pretty thorough onboarding process, and that onboarding process starts with a discovery meeting, and the discovery meeting can last anywhere from forty-five minutes to an hour and a half. And uh, that discovery meeting is pretty much us as advisors going into a into a meeting room and and not presenting a thing, not showing them a thing, and simply asking questions about who they are, where they want to go, what are their goals, what are their worries, concerns, what are they trying to accomplish. We do, in the last part of the meeting, deep do a deep dive in financials and try to understand you know, where they're going. So we have a process that starts with discovery meeting. At the end of that meeting, if we, if we both see that there's a fit, and so the client has to see that too because they have to understand how we interact with them. And if we both think there's a fit, we propose and we say, let's go to the next step, which is a proposal meeting, which is us essentially saying, here's what we've learned about you in the first meeting. Here's the types of services we think you need. Here are the types of services we can provide to address those needs. And at that point, I think a client has had an ability to understand how we operate. We get a chance to share our investment approach in that second meeting. Often we share information prior to even the discovery meeting on that so that they're, they've done their due diligence. But it's really only after those first couple of meetings that everybody has a good basis to figure out how we move forward. And so we found that we've embraced that process now for, I'm going to say, close to 15 years I think it's a great way to interact with new... It takes a lot of time to do this. And what you find is you do find out who's serious. We want to work with serious folks that really want to sort of strive towards getting to their goals. We want to work with investors and clients who wish to be engaged in the process. So we're a discretionary money manager. So that that doesn't mean we need them to be involved in every single financial decision about a portfolio, but we want them to be engaged in understanding the risk they're taking or not taking, understand the profile of their portfolio, understand their planning, understand where they wish to be at retirement, understand how it all works together and are and, and want to participate. So you know, usually that starts to define the type of client we're working with. Committed, engaged. So if a person is not committed and engaged, it's not going to work out to be a great fit. They may look at what, the way we're doing things and say, wow, that's a pretty thorough approach. Uh, I'm kind of more loosey-goosey. 
I would prefer to work with a you know, kind of a more laid back approach, which is fine. But we got a pretty um, well thought out uh, client caring approach. And so we tend to attract clients that want to be engaged, are caring, have to, they, you know, we're looking for people with reasonable expectations. We talk about expected returns in fixed income and in equities. And for many, many years, we've been talking about lower expected returns. And so clients need to understand that and, and, be, and be accepting of the fact that of some of the issues that we bring to the table. And, and that also defines what we think is a very nice, willing client. And finally, a client needs to buy into the investment philosophy. We are using a philosophy really essentially geared around asset allocation, using index or passively managed portfolio building blocks. We don't time the market. We don't chase sectors. There's no sort of magic formula. We've got Canada, U.S. international and emerging markets, maybe REITs, passive money management in each building block. We use a lot of dimensional fund advisor strategies, which are tilts to value and small. And the standard portfolio is 9,000 companies in, on the equity side. So if a client buys into all the following things and wants to have this sort of the comprehensive approach that we're dealing with, wants to be engaged, is serious, wants to see themselves reach their goals and subscribes to the investment approach, then I think we've got a really nice connection. So you mentioned a lot of things here, and I want to go back to the delivery of the services later on, but I want to talk a little bit about your book, because uh, The Empowered Investor, you just published the fourth edition of the book. And the first question really is, what has been response from, from your clients and prospects or colleagues to the book? So the book is fourth edition. We wrote the first book in 2003. The reception is always very positive. You know, sort of the pre-book, we were, I was writing for the Montreal Gazette and the National Post, and I did that for about a year. And so I used to write articles about money management, the use of exchange-traded funds, the use of indexing, financial planning, mix it all up, bring it to a client experience. But then, uh, you know, I realized I-, I need to package all this in a series of articles that, that, that could make sense and walk a client through this journey about how you, you know, how you go through this process. What are the obstacles you need to be aware of? What's going to trip you up? How do you move forward? And so I wrote a series of articles and it was back then in 2003 that some of the readers said, that's a book. You need to write a book. It makes sense. The content is, is understandable. It's clear. And you're, you're eliminating some confusion that I've always had. So we've had great response over the years. And uh, we, we continue to use it. We've updated it. We've added, a, I think, a better narrative for the reader to see himself or herself as really the hero in the story. So yeah, we've had great success and we've just recently or about to launch a podcast called The Empowered Investor. And it's going to be talking a lot about some of the same materials and content that we that we used to passionately write about. That's fantastic. So I want to ask specifically about the book. And, and by the way, it's a remarkable book. I think you've done a fantastic job on basically taking some of the complex matters and really as you said, very clearly and, and simply describing them, but also providing sufficient detail because sometimes it's it's just what we are hearing sometimes about uh, about cl- from clients that you know sometimes financial planning can be very complex. So it's about distilling those to clear, understandable blocks that you can actually educate client on. So so I think I think the book is remarkable. It's about ninety pages, and uh, I had a chance to read through this before we had our conversation. I wanted to I wanted to know about, as much about you and uh, what you've done. Before, so I think I think it's one of the I think I would say top five resources that I've seen basically in the last five years on geared towards uh, clients' prospects, and uh, I think it's a fantastic book. So um, uh, I think we'll we'll be able to hopefully we'll be able to link to, to the show notes here. But it's specifically about the book. 
have you found that the book is actually useful in for clients to self-select themselves and say, you know what, those ideas are actually attractive to me, and I, I like how Keith and then his team is operating. So when you get to the first even meeting with a client, I mean, they have a choice. Uh, they probably have a chance to Google you, Google your firm, go to your website, maybe download the book, maybe read parts of the book. Do you find that clients, that book is actually helpful as an educational resource for clients to be able to say, hey, you know what, I really like to work with Keith because this really makes sense and it resonates with me. A hundred percent. 20 years ago, when I was a young advisor uh, trying to figure out, or younger, uh, I still think I'm a little on the young side, but younger, I would come across some industry writings that would talk about, you know, put your thoughts on paper if you can, express yourself, especially if you feel that you're able to help investors and help clients and help readers, put it out into the universe. And so I invested a tremendous amount of time in terms of putting uh, thoughts down on paper, having it edited constantly and putting it out there. And so it does self-select. It does allow a reader to understand what we believe in. And more importantly, it answers the question, why? Why do we do things a certain way? And if you can show people why you do things, I find that much more inspiring for individuals. So they know what they get. What we've written about in The Empowered Investor now for, for the fourth time over 20 years is this is essentially exactly how we we believe portfolios should be managed. It's exactly how we believe clients need to be worked with, and clients can get a pretty good understanding as to whether that fits with what they're looking for. At the same time, it allows people, you know, it allows us to help as many people as possible uh, in their search for a better investment experience. I really like that approach, and I, I mean, you've said that uh, you know, writing takes time, and uh, it's a, it's a large investment. And as an independent smaller firm, you have to be really selective what you're going to dedicate your attention to, because you know, you can't possibly go to every prospect of meeting with a client. You have to basically make sure that uh, you have high conversion rates, and, and you have to basically pick a couple of different strategies how to uh, what you can do in terms of you know focusing on client acquisition. So I think that's a great resource, and you have a track record because of, of actually using this, improving this resource. So that's a great example of doing something right and improving and really doubling down over a long period of time. So that's uh, I'm very impressed with that. Uh, one question around that, because advising and financial services, successfully investing to meet your financial goals, whether it's retirement plans uh, or your children's education, even if you boil it down to simpler concepts, it's still difficult for or, or still can be uh, massively challenging for an average Canadian consumer to go through. So if, for example, how do you deal with comments, for example, that, you know, the, somebody can say that, well, I really, um, Keith, I read your book. I, I you know, really enjoyed uh, your evidence-based investing, factor in, uh, investing, and, uh, you know, passive investing or, or index investing, asset classes. That all makes sense to me. Let's get started. But make sure that at least 30% of my portfolio is in Amazon. How do you respond to those kind of, how do you deal with those kind of objections with clients? We typically don't get those questions. But, you know, I, I, I take it in today's market, one might perhaps receive a question like that. But, you know, we're obviously not going to be the firm for them. And we'll just tell them, you know, like, uh, that's not prudent money management. It's, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing that. So Canadians, I find, are, 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 are smart enough to realize that, and they've seen enough stories in the last 20 years. So most of the clients that are coming to us are between the ages of 50 and 60, maybe 70, plus or minus. They've seen the Nortels. They've seen research in motion. They've seen oil peak at uh, you know $180 a barrel. They've seen all these different wild swings over their time. They're very much in line with uh, keep diversification, 
they're looking for the, a philosophy that does make sense to them and that they can feel confident in. They want a game plan. So, you know, again, if a client was to come in and say that, we just would say we're probably not the right firm. What you probably need to do is is go to a, a brokerage firm and, and work with them. Right. And you know what's the other aspect of this is it, there might be still a good client for, for you, but I think I think the interesting part of this, there's this human psychology that basically, you know, we are we're geared towards looking for the you know the the latest hot shot when it's uh, when or when when it comes to you know stocks and and then you know we may read a lot of research we may read a lot read a lot of good uh, things and and for example you know good resources and a year later we might be tempted ah you know shopify is doing so well for example or you know there's there's zoom right now i mean that's that's another opportunity so i think parts of the book mentioned um, you know, the, uh, in parts of the book you mentioned actually the the coaching that comes uh, and, and addressing the behavioral finance of clients so uh, I want to get a little bit deeper into that. So how do you coach your clients? How do you help them make those better decisions? I would say that even though some, sometimes they're, you know, human psychology is just trying to basically lead them astray. We have annual meetings, which are very thorough. There's probably four parts to an annual meeting. And I think through that whole process of doing annual meetings, you're able to embark a, a client philosophy and a, an investment and a planning philosophy. And so that's critical. We do, I would say, four or five newsletter pieces each year, and we're constantly trying to make clients aware of the do's and don'ts and keep them abreast as to why you don't want to be thinking about these kinds of strategies because they don't end up you know, leading, leading individuals to the, to the positive returns they may think, and the merits, the merits again, of, of sticking to this investment philosophy. And we've been doing this for 20-odd 20, 20 years, 25 years. You know, and, and we've seen it all. We've seen every market come out and say, well, this is a stock picking year. And this is a this year. And this is a that year. You know, if you think about it, if, you, if, if you're an advisor who's 55 or 60 and 50, you've seen a lot in the last 25 years. You've seen a lot of fads. You've seen a lot of chasing. And clients are, they're tired of that. And so they want a good process. They want a planning process. They want a process that's geared around their needs. And I don't find that many clients saying, you know, listen, let me try to uh, hit this ball out of the ballpark here because I need to have a, I need a home run. Uh, we don't see that. Let's talk about financial planning. So, what do you do for planning? We mentioned, you know, you mentioned retirement planning, financial projections. What do you do for for clients? How do you simplify the planning aspects for them, and how do you deliver that service? So, there's sort of two components. One would be, I think many Canadians think of planning as, tell me how much money I need to put away each month so I can reach my retirement goals? Or how much should I have when I retire in order to have sufficient assets for retirement? So we use in our portfolio teams, we do asset projections, which helps clients understand how their assets will be used over many, many years, how to accumulate assets and how to deaccumulate assets. And Pavel, we use Snap. We use actually, use th- we've been a, a user of three software programs over the past 20 years. And um, currently, my favorite in our team is Snap, which is your organization. We've been using it for, I think, two or three years now. Absolutely, absolutely love, uh, you know, you know I'm a big fan of your of your software. Love the software. Clients love the software. They love seeing their entire life up on a screen. They love seeing the cash flows can be changed very easily and they can do what-if scenarios. So these are what we call asset pl- asset projections. And so that gets done inside the advisors who have client-facing responsibility. 
I want to go a little bit deeper because, you know, you've been with us for about three and a half years and, and since early days of Snap, and we didn't have a lot of functionality at the time. But the one thing is, and I don't know if I ever told you this, but I always you know, go back to the conversation that I think we had maybe, I don't know, three years ago when you basically mentioned to me that you have your, you know, two or three million dollar clients, basically, when and you're showing them projections. And basically, you're, I think, one of the fir- first, if not the first person that basically said, you know what, I'm going to project the numbers on the screen. And sometimes, you know, you may show them numbers, but they, the, the clients actually would point to different numbers and start having a conversation with you around those numbers. Can you talk a little bit about that aspect? Because, I mean, when I talk with a lot of advisors, I always bring you up as an example. It's like, hey, there is another way of leveraging the software. Have you tried that? Because some people, some high-end advisors actually have a lot of success with the approach. I'm trying to see, you know, if there's anything unique about your process or, for example, what you've learned over the period of time that might be useful for others. So we've used NaviPlan, we've used CCH. We have a licensed financial planner in our firm who does a lot of planning work with our clients depending on unique planning needs. And so for a few client scenarios, we're still going to use CCH. But what I would like about Snap and what I like about the process that you're speaking about is that it completely opens up the box. A lot of financial planning software kind of starts with, give me your assumptions, I'll plug them in, and I'll show you summary pages And it's really hard to touch and to understand what's going on inside. So what's nice about Snap is the your entire life as a client is up on the screen. So if if a client, if we're projecting 25 years and we're talking about lifestyle expenses, you can see the whole lifestyle expense line coming down. And they can point to sort of a, a, a line item and say, okay, at 75, maybe I'll spend a little less. Let's change that number right there. And so we go in the system right in front of them and change that number. And then they see sort of higher lifestyle spending during, let's call it the go-go years of 60 to 75. And then and then the slower years at 70, then they, they can see these line items change. And it's very powerful. They can see that uh, in a variety of different aspects. And so you can actually show them cash flows in a way that's transparent. That fits the way we do our, has and have always done our investment process. So we have always been a firm that's been showing clients management fees for 25 years, showing them on a quarterly basis, on a monthly basis, showing them everything, showing them how much a custodian charges. So our fees, all fees associated with with the management of services. So Snap, what was nice about Snap was, once again, a very transparent way for a client to enjoy their experience. Fantastic. So first of all, thank you for the uh, for the shout out. And the other thing is, I think it's interesting technique about and, and the, the industry basically has been operating for a long time as a black box. I mean, it, you know, you didn't know how the industry operates. And of course, with the advent of internet, I mean, things get, became more transparent. Things are super transparent right now. So I think I think that the whole aspect of going from the black box to the you know white box, as, as you can call it, and, and show the tr- full transparency is going to be resonating with a lot of clients. The other thing is what I want to mention also is that, I mean, there is really very rarely one size fits all. So you still use other financial planning software in your practice, depending on clients. And, and that's another trend that we've seen basically that, you know, there is... Snap may be good for a certain type of clients, but it may not be, you know, best for, you know, some other type of clients. And some sometimes, for example, it makes sense to use the best tool for, for the job, right? 
and you've been using other platforms as well, which is, uh, which again, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a great move and basically shows me that you basically try to tailor I mean, or try to get the result that you are after. And you're basically going to try different tools uh, to get the result that you want, because hopefully that's going to serve the clients. Does this make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So enough about uh, planning process, but let's talk about some of the things. I mean, you've been in the industry for a while and, and you've been on the forefront of a lot of different trends, uh, just not just ETS, but you know, you mentioned transparency around fees, overall transparency of the process, financial planning process, you know, tax uh, uh, preparations and reviewing. What do you think is the most misunderstood still today when it comes to wealth management? Another loaded question, but you know what? I like to ask. I like asking those loaded questions because they result in interesting answers. From whose perspective? From the advisor's perspective or from the client's perspective? Well, let's focus on the advisor first. I think that advisors sometimes feel that they need to be adding alpha in a portfolio and they, they need to be beating markets and they need to be moving things around in a portfolio, coming up with ideas that need to be implemented on a either regular or semi-regular basis for them to perceive themselves as adding value to a client relationship. I remember discussing this with executives out of banks 15, 16 years ago, and I would tell them, you know what? Clients will pay for a set of services even if you use index products. They will pay. And they will pay for the advice, they will pay for the coaching, they will pay for the set of services. They know that if they were to try to do it themselves, they wouldn't get the results that they want. So they, they're prepared to pay for the process. And I, I think that advisors are starting to really open up to the idea of using index, uh, whether they be dimensional fund advisor solutions, exchange-traded funds, and in core scenarios too. So building a portfolio with three or four major broad asset class exposures and adding plant, all that works. And I think advisors are really waking up to that and seeing that. So it might have been a bit more misunderstood in the last five, six, seven, eight years. And I think advisors are really opening up to it. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And what about clients? What do you think uh, is, uh, from a client's perspective, given everything what's happening right now, they're bombarded by news basically on a, you know, a minute by minute basis, push notifications on the cell phone, you know, here's next hot stock, here's, you know, a value in active management, lots of other aspects. What do you think is, you know, still misunderstood when it comes to wealth management firm from the client's perspective? We work very hard with our clients. I'm very proud of how our clients have embraced the process. You know, they, their behaviors are fantastic in terms of staying the course, adding money to portfolios when they can, rebalancing into equities when markets are down. And so I'm extremely proud of the behavior of, of our clients. What I tend to see from, you know, either clients, new clients maybe transitioning in or, or others that you meet out there just in the general universe is there, I think they misunderstand activity sometimes with results. I think sometimes people think that the industry has some way of identifying in advance what will happen. And the reality is, is they don't. Nobody does. And the last two decades have shown us that. Makes sense. Yes. Well, that's definitely a thought out there. And especially when something happens, then you can kind of look back and see, uh, well, naturally, we could have predicted it or, or to some degree. <laughs> yeah. We're constantly talking about stay away from predictions in building portfolios. We, we, uh, and, you know, if you go back in the last 25 years, the amount of predictions that have been just completely incorrect, either by bearish analysts, by bullish analysts, uh, it's just not something that investors should subscribe to. And I really like how you have accentuated those ideas in, in, in the book as well, just basically highlighting some of the things that are, that are really important for 
keeping clients on, on rails, right? So they don't go off the rails. So a couple of questions before we wrap up here. I want to ask a little bit about, uh, about your fee structure. What is your fee structure for your clients right now? And how does this change if this changes with, for example, with the range of services that you provide to clients or, or their you know, size of their portfolio? So our client fees, management fees are in our firm 1% on the first 2 million, 50 basis points from 2 million to 4 million, and 25 basis points after 4 million. And so that's sort of the standard structure, which is used for almost exclusively across the entire client base. In addition to those fees, there are underlying fees. There's custodian fees, which we use two custodians, two independent custodians, National Bank and Credential. And depending on the client portfolio of those, we try to bring them in anywhere from two to four basis points of overall fees, and of which the client pays. And then finally, there's the underlying exchange-traded or DFA or dimensional fees, which typically average 30, 35 basis points across a blended portfolio. That's a great structure. So a couple of other things. So you've been in building uh, your, your firm and, and working with, uh, with clients over the last quarter of a century. Uh, what tips would you have based on what, uh, what you've seen, what worked for you and, and what didn't work for you? What tips would you have for maybe new advisors thinking about joining the industry right now in this kind of most post-COVID-19 world? It's a hard question again, but you know, how would you start in this industry if you were going to basically start from ground zero today? Well, I, yeah, it's a great question and a tough question to answer because it's, it's and, uh, you know, I meet lots of young people coming out of university and I always make sure I have time for them to sit down, have a coffee and just talk about what their goals are, where they want to go. I think that you've got to answer that question differently for different folks. So if you're 22 to 25 finishing university with an undergrad and you want to get into investment management or wealth management, you know, you will answer that question a certain way. And if you're 34, 35, and you're trying to, and this used to happen often 20 years ago, if you're 34, 35, and you wanted to make a career switch out of engineering or out of something else, you could become a financial advisor. You know, I, I think my message to the younger crowd would be join a firm, find an investment philosophy that you love find an approach, a client service approach that you love. If you identify with the investment style and the approach and the way you deal with clients, that will bring the best out of anybody. And then go into these firms and work your, work your buns off and try to constantly improve. There's lots of opportunities in firms. There are lots and lots of opportunities in firms. In larger teams in, at IROC, there's, there's opportunities. There's opportunities in MFDA-licensed firms. There's lots of opportunities in independent portfolio management firms. And all of these firms are slowly migrating towards trying to do the same thing, which is offer investment and more and more offer planning and now tax. So we're, we're all kind of going to that same end zone. But so I'd say there's lots of opportunities. Hook up with a great philosophy. Hook up with a great client service platform. Enjoy the people that you're working with and then work your buns off. And um, maybe if you're a little bit older, you've got a choice between taking the more entrepreneurial route or joining the teams. There's no right or wrong answer here. I think there's better fits depending on who you are as a, as a, as a person trying to come into this business. That's a great answer. And, and so the coach and trainer speaks uh, to you right now from that perspective. And I will really like that, uh, that approach. A couple of questions be here before, we're, uh, before we wrap up. So we mentioned your podcast, but uh, I, I want to ask a question. What are some of the projects that you're most excited uh, about your business right now? Is this going to be the podcast? Are you doing anything else? What's going on right now? We're constantly working. You know, I, my wife's always saying, Keith, what are you going to slow down? You know, and, and I, I love this business. I love helping people. I think we've spent a lot of time in the last five years adding capacity 
So taking our time, bringing in young professionals into our team and into our firm, investing time training them, investing time showing them and sharing experiences. And now we're ready to grow a little bit more, but at a very sustainable rate, very, very appropriate rate. And I'm just looking forward to being able to grow the team, grow the client practice, grow through communication. So we're, we're, we're doubling down on communications again and continue to operate in you know, doing our part in the industry. Excellent response. Uh, so Keith, this podcast is all about growing your practice. So do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? I'd just like to ask for one thing at the end. Yeah, come back to a couple of responses ago. Find, find the services, the philosophy, the client approach that you love and that you're passionate about, and then put a lot of energy into it and always serve your clients as they're the most important people in the room and you know everything else will be taken care of. Perfect. Thanks for doubling down on that. So Keith, if anyone uh, wants to get a hold of you, maybe ask you a question either or younger professional, for example, or, or maybe another advisor you know, willing to collaborate or, or do something together, uh, or just have, you know, somebody have, may have a question. So how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you right now? The easiest way is just to uh, look us up on the web, to let Matthews and Associates, all of our coordinates, my coordinates are on the website, and uh, all very easy to, to contact that way. And I can attest to that. You've been uh, very easy to to, to reach, uh, although given yeah, the fact that's you know how busy you've been, that's uh, I know it's uh, it's not going to be uh, you know super easy to get in touch with you know maybe everybody if you have a lot of people reaching out, but uh, I'm sure you'll find time. So Keith, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. Pavel, thank you, and keep up the great work. I love your software, and uh, your show's a great show with lots of uh, lots of great guests. So thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.